Hi, it's Shannon Ballard. I want to say thanks to my new patrons who are helping make this episode of Southern Mysteries possible. The Heritage Ways family in Ohio, Blair from Savannah, Georgia, and Donna, Gail, and Taylor listening from a mysterious location. This is an independent podcast, and I invest a lot of time and resources into Southern Mysteries. I research, write, host, and produce every episode as a staff of one. Support from our Southern Mysteries patrons help make this show possible. When you join in and support Southern Mysteries on Patreon, you can access this year's patron-exclusive podcast, Audacious Tales of American Crime, along with previously released patron podcast. Plus, you can hear the archive of the first three seasons of Southern Mysteries, which you cannot hear anywhere else. If you like the show and you want to hear more stories, like the one you'll hear today, it is easy to join Patreon. You can opt in and out easily at patreon.com slash southernmysteries, and you get immediate access to start catching up on the stories you've missed so far. French author Charles Perrault published Bluebeard, a tale of a wealthy man who had a habit of murdering his wives and his present wife's attempt to avoid the fate of women who would come before her. Story goes that as Bluebeard leaves home, he hands his wife the keys to all the doors in his castle, but forbids her to open one of them. Curiosity drives her to that locked door where she discovers the bodies of his former wives. When Bluebeard returns, he knows what she's done and threatens to cut off her head. The wife is saved by her brothers, just as Bluebeard is about to strike the final blow. This folktale inspired future generations to refer to people who murder their spouse as Bluebeard killers. Killers like West Virginia's Harry Powers, By the time he was arrested in 1931, he had killed at least five people. The traveling salesman used lonely hearts ads to find women he would rob and kill. Welcome to Southern Mysteries, exploring history and mysteries of the American South. I'm your host, Shannon Ballard. This is the story of Harry Powers, the Bluebeard, of Quiet Dell. Harry Powers was one of several aliases used by Herman Drenth, the name he was given at birth in the Netherlands in 1892. By 1910, Herman and his parents immigrated to the United States, and the family settled down in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Herman embraced America, his new country, and was eager to forget about his old life. He reinvented himself. Harry Drenth was now Harry Powers, an Oklahoma oil stock promoter who occasionally used the aliases A.R. Weaver and Cornelius Pearson. In 1926, Harry was looking for love. He began responding to listings in Lonely Hearts magazines. These listings were the predecessors of internet dating and tender. If you were looking for fun or long-term relationships, 
you shared about it in Lonely Hearts ads. Newspapers occasionally ran stories alongside these ads, warning readers to use caution. There would be stories of people who were conned, even murdered, because they answered or placed an ad in Lonely Hearts. To many people struggling with loneliness, answering an ad was their only hope of finding companionship, especially for those who lived in rural areas where a match could be tough to find. Harry Powers first responded to a woman named Luella Strother. In her Lonely Hearts listing, she mentioned she owned a small grocery store in Clarksburg, West Virginia, and a farm in nearby Quiet Dell. Luella was looking for romance, a serious relationship, and she found it with 34-year-old Harry Powers from Iowa. Harry didn't have movie star looks. He was stocky, wore glasses with thick lenses, but Harry Powers had a way with words that made him very appealing in writing. He told Luella that he was nearly six feet tall and a strikingly handsome man. Luella and Harry shared passionate love letters over the course of a year, and by 1927, Harry moved to Clarksburg, West Virginia, to marry Luella. You can imagine her shock when she realized Harry's description of himself had been a lie. But by then, Luella was in love with a man who had written those letters and wanted the security of marriage. Harry and Luella settled into life on her farm in Quiet Dell, with Luella managing the grocery store in Clarksburg. Harry kept working as a traveling salesman, and when he was home in Quiet Dell, he spent his time in a workshop, a garage he built on the property. Life seemed quaint and just about perfect for Luella, but a few years into their marriage, Harry had an epiphany he realized one of the best financial decisions he had ever made was marriage. So Harry hatched a plan to meet new women and make more money. He placed this ad in the American Friendship Society circular for Lonely Hearts. Wealthy widower worth $150,000 with income from $400 to $3,000 per month Civil engineer and a very fine-looking man of 38 writes, My business enterprises prevent me from making many social friends. As my properties are located throughout the Middle West, I believe I will settle there when married. Am an elk and a mason, own a beautiful 10-room house, completely furnished. My wife would have her own car and plenty of spending money, but she must be a strictly one-man woman. I would not tolerate infidelity. Am now living in West Virginia. Contact Cornelius Pearson, P.O. Box 277, Clarksburg, West Virginia. Now, none of this was true, but the responses started pouring into the P.O. Box in Clarksburg. Police later learned from postal records the rate of reply to Cornelius Pearson's ad was 10 to 20 letters every single day. Harry, posing as Cornelius Pearson, entered into a long correspondence with Asta Eicher of Park Ridge, Illinois. Asta was a widow and mother of three children, 14-year-old Greta, 12-year-old Harry, and 9-year-old Annabelle. 
On June 21, 1931, the man Asta knew as Cornelius Pearson arrived at her home for a short visit. After two days, Asta and Cornelius were ready for some time as a couple. Asta left her children in the care of her good friend Elizabeth Abernathy and hit the road with Cornelius. Five days later, Miss Abernathy received a letter from Asta informing her that she and Mr. Pearson planned to marry and he would come pick up the children. On July 1st, Harry, still posing as Cornelius, returned to Asta Eicher's home without Asta. He spent the night at her house before visiting her children at Miss Abernathy's the following day. He instructed one of the children to join him for a drive. He drove directly to a bank where he sent the child in with a check and a note instructing the teller that the check was to be cashed. The check was signed by Asta Eicher, but the teller recognized the signature as a forgery and refused to complete the transaction. When the child returned to the car with no cash, an upset Harry Powers sped back to Miss Abernathy's house, where he shocked the woman by ordering the children to quickly gather their belongings, pack everything in his car. The children got in with Harry, and they drove away. Miss Abernathy never saw Asta Eicher or her children again. At the same time Harry Powers was wooing Asta Eicher, he kept his options open, corresponding with many women from Lonely Hearts ads. After the failed attempt to cash a check in Asta Eicher's name, Harry, again posing as Cornelius Pearson, arrived in Northborough, Massachusetts to meet Dorothy Lemke. Dorothy lived with her brother and sister-in-law, who were charmed by Cornelius's manner. He stayed the night with the family and by early the next morning proposed. And Dorothy Lemke shared the news with her brother. She was moving to Iowa. She withdrew $4,000 from her bank and met Harry at the railway station to arrange shipments of her trunks to their new home. They departed the station for what Dorothy expected to be a journey to Iowa. She hadn't noticed her trunks were shipped to an address in West Virginia in care of Cornelius Pearson. Around this time, police in Illinois were alerted that Asta Eicher and her children were missing. They spoke with William O'Boyle. O'Boyle had been a boarder at Asta's home until she told him she met someone and would marry soon, meaning O'Boyle would need to find a new place to live. When he asked who she planned to marry, Asta told him it was Cornelius Pearson, a man O'Boyle had seen the day he arrived to meet Asta. O'Boyle moved out a few days later, and no one realized something was amiss until he returned to Asta's home in August of 1931 to pick up some tools he had left behind. There was no sign of Asta, but there was a man there working on emptying out the house. O'Boyle felt uncomfortable about it all and connected with Asta's friend, Miss Abernathy, who explained the odd circumstances surrounding the last time she saw Asta's children with Cornelius Pearson. The man who had been in Asta's house when O'Boyle arrived was Cornelius. 
O'Boyle immediately knew something was wrong. He went to police and shared that Asta and her children were gone, and he was worried about this family. When police arrived at Asta Eicher's house, they met a man who introduced himself as Cornelius Pearson of the Fairmont Hotel in Fairmont, West Virginia. He explained the Eichers were doing well. They moved to Colorado, and he was left behind to settle their affairs. He even showed police a letter from Asta Eicher, which confirmed her property taxes and mortgage had been paid in full so he could clear the home and prepare it for renters. Police thanked him for his time and returned to the station. They were curious as to why this Pearson person couldn't or wouldn't offer Asta Eicher's exact whereabouts. They reached out to police in Fairmont, West Virginia, who explained they knew of no one in the town named Cornelius Pearson. Police returned to Asta's home, where they found a few love letters with a return address of Quiet Dell, West Virginia. Park Ridge, Illinois police called on police in West Virginia for assistance. They asked about Cornelius Pearson in Quiet Dell, but police said they knew of no one by that name in their region. A Clarksburg detective headed to the local post office to see if they could help. There he was able to confirm the P.O. box where mail was delivered to this Cornelius Pearson was assigned to Harry Powers of Quiet Dell. Detectives made the seven-mile drive to the farm where Harry and Luella Powers lived to try to solve the mystery of what happened to Asta Eicher and her children. When questioned about the love letters found in Asta's home with his address, Harry Powers said he knew Asta and her children, but they were just friends. She had gone west and was fine. But minutes later, when asked again where Asta Eicher and her children were, Harry said the widow had traveled to see him in West Virginia. Luella granted permission for the detectives to look around the house and property. During the search, they came across a garage. It was locked, and the fact that Harry had not mentioned the building made them highly suspicious. They obtained a search warrant, and inside Harry's garage, they found four rooms of tile and concrete in the basement of the structure. In one of the rooms, they found clothing and jewelry that belonged to Asta Eicher. In another, signs of violence, including a bloody footprint, bloody clothing, and strands of human hair. The bloody footprint was small, and police realized it was likely the footprint of a child. Under heavy guard, Harry Powers was brought to the garage where police showed him the bloody footprint and demanded answers. Harry Powers remained silent. Now, news in a small community like Quiet Dell traveled fast. By that afternoon, nearly 300 people gathered at the farm to try to get answers as to why police were searching Harry Powers' garage. When they learned police were searching for a missing woman and her children, one of the bystanders asked to speak to the person in charge, Sheriff Grimm. The 15-year-old boy explained Harry Powers asked him to help 
dig a ditch from the garage to a nearby creek. The sheriff called in men to help uncover earth through and around the ditch. Sadly, moments after the digging began, a foul odor was released. The distinctive odor of a decomposing body. Asta Eicher's body was found at the lower end of the ditch. The sheriff and his men knew they had to keep digging because if Asta was there, it was possible her children would be as well. Hours later, the bodies of Asta Eicher's three children were found deeper below the area she had been found in the ditch. Her daughters had been strangled to death, just like Asta. But Asta's 12-year-old son had been struck in the head with a hammer. And a hammer was found near the boy's body. Authorities had come to the farm in Quiet Dell to try to solve the mystery of the disappearance of Asta Eicher and her children. They finally had their answer. But along with it, another mystery. Along with the bodies of Asta and her children was the body of an unidentified woman. Through dental records, they were able to identify the woman as Dorothy Lemke. Five bodies were discovered on what locals were calling the murder farm. Police searched Powers' home and found hundreds of letters he had hidden in his house, the letters were addressed to Cornelius Pearson, and all of them were from lonely women across the country. Cornelius Pearson vowed undying love to all of these women. One of them stood out because she mentioned their upcoming marriage. 28-year-old Edith Simpson lived in Detroit, Michigan. She wrote of plans to marry Cornelius that September. When police met with her, she explained she had purchased her wedding dress and was making arrangements to start her new life with a man of her dreams. Police showed Edith a letter Harry Powers had written to Asta Eicher, posing as the same man, Cornelius Pearson. Edith was shocked to read the exact same words he had sent in her love letters. She told police he wrote so beautifully that she couldn't believe he would hurt an insect and surely couldn't hurt a human being. Police then broke the news to her that this man she loved had confessed to murdering five people, including three children. Which was true. After police found the hundreds of love letters in the trunk at Harry's house, they searched the home again and found a roll of film hidden there. When they developed the film, they were shocked to see photos of Dorothy Lemke with Harry Powers, the man she believed to be her lover, Cornelius Pearson. When questioned, and based on photos of Harry Powers days after his interviews with police, beaten as well, Harry Powers confessed to the murders. He revealed he had driven Asta and her children to the Quiet Dell farm, and locked them up in the soundproof chamber he constructed in the basements of the garage. He left them there for a few days, suspended from a noose from the rafters. Harry left town and returned with Dorothy Lemke. He brought her into the chamber, where she was also bound. 
Harry explained that occasionally he would enter the chamber and make the women sign checks so he could withdraw money from their bank accounts, which were wiped out by the time their bodies were discovered. He said when he walked out of the chamber and the women and children were crying out to be freed, he was sexually excited by the sound of his victims screaming. Harry Powers showed no sign of shame or remorse as he explained he killed them one by one, strangling and gassing them. He forced Asta's son to watch the women and his sisters die before he was killed with a hammer. When news broke that Harry Powers had confessed, more than 1,000 people joined in an attempt to storm the Harrison County Jail in Clarksburg to lynch Harry Powers. State and local police knew this would be the response to the news, and they called in reinforcements to help guard the jail and protect Harry Powers so he could face trial. Women from all over the country reached out to police in West Virginia to share they had been victims of this man posing as Cornelius Pearson. Some said he emptied their bank accounts after he proposed to them, believing they could trust the man they planned to marry. Police were worried there were more victims. After connecting with family and friends of Dorothy Lemke and Asta Eicher, they learned some items found in Harry's murder garage did not belong to these women. There were dozens of items, jewelry, wallets, women's handkerchiefs, and purses. But when questioned about this, Harry simply said, You've got me on five. What good would 50 do? By the time Harry Powers stood trial in Clarksburg in December 1931, there was so much interest from people across the region, the city constructed a special courtroom at the local opera house that could seat 1,200 people. It was full throughout the trial. The defendant pleaded not guilty with his defense noting police had beaten a confession out of Harry hours after his arrest. But the jury heard powerful testimony from Sheriff Grimm, who had been on the Powers' property when the bodies were discovered. Prison guards also testified to detailed murder confessions from Harry Powers. Harry Powers took the stand and broke down in tears as he shared he was trapped in a miserable marriage, that had driven him to seek love with his lonely heart's sweethearts. But he recanted his jailhouse confession and denied he was a killer. The prosecution called psychologist Dr. Mayer to testify regarding Harry Powers' mental state. After evaluating Powers, the doctor reported, Powers is a psychopathic personality, pig-eyed, paunchy, with weakened sexual powers, He is not insane, but he has been a borderline case all his life. Powers is capable of knowing right from wrong. The jury deliberated for two hours and returned their verdict. When papers broke the news, the headlines read, Bluebeard of Quiet Dell, Guilty. Powers was sentenced to death by hanging on March 18, 1932, at West Virginia Penitentiary at Moundsville. The day of Harry Powers' execution, large crowds gathered to witness the hanging. 
Powers wore a black pinstripe suit with a blue tie and white collar. One reporter wrote that Harry's appearance was so neat and tidy, you'd think he was the groom at one of the weddings he promised countless women. When marched to the gallows, Powers was asked if he had anything to say before he died. He seemed resigned to his fate and simply said, no. A guard placed a black death cap over Powers' head and at the signal of the captain of the guards, released the trap door. And Harry Powers plunged to his death and as many people hoped, straight on to hell. Southern Mysteries is created and hosted by me, Shannon Ballard. Harry Powers' widow, Luella, denounced him after his arrest, saying he was a monster she didn't want freed for $100 million. When Harry was executed, Luella was asked if she wanted to claim his body for burial. She refused. Detectives who worked the Harry Powers case theorized Harry had victimized at least 50 women, having possibly killed many more than the five people found on his property. To this day, the Bluebeard of Quiet Dell legend tells of 50 victims, but officially, that's a theory that's never been proven. To see sources for this episode and learn more about Southern Mysteries, see the full show notes at southernmysteries.com. If you're enjoying Southern Mysteries, I hope you'll take a moment and rate and review the show where you're listening now. It helps other people discover the show, so I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. 